The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is the Employment Law Show. You betcha it is that time once again. Welcome to it. 6.32 on your Thursday evening. And uh, welcome back to the show. As promised last night, 6.30. We're back around to do it again. And uh, your questions, which have been brewing in the last 24 hours, if you have any, can be answered now. Stan Fainzelberg is your guy. Sam Firu to Mark and LLP. He hails from that particular firm, the most uh, positively reviewed law firm in the country. By the way, you can check that out if, uh, if you doubt me. Rees to wait, uh, or at least ways. And reasons to reach Stan any time, of course, is for your own matter off air. You can do that. one 821 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website, which is free, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, with uh, abundant access to the severance calculator. Once you land on that particular website, be that third voice on air with us and ask your questions. Because usually when you do, there's hundreds of other people wondering the same thing, but they haven't bothered to call in or don't want to call in. So you're doing a good thing for everybody. We will get into the mailbag on this evening's show, got a lot of that to uh, to machete our way through, Stan. But first, we always start off with the case of the day, thought of the day, pal. What do you got? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, John. Uh, wanted to talk about a recent case, or two, actually two recent cases, in which you know have switched a lot of thinking in the employment industry about what is the maximum that really people can hope to get in terms of notice or severance uh, for. About for the last five years or so, as of 2018, the Court of Appeal came out with a case that essentially said, and I'm sure our listeners have heard us say this many times on the show, that 24 months is kind of the unofficial cap. You know, mm-hmm. it's beyond that, they essentially said that you need to have some form of exceptional circumstances to get above that 24-month unofficial cap. And they didn't really define what constitutes exceptional circumstances. They've left that to the lower to work their way through. And we now have two cases that actually came out just this year that have done just that. Uh, in one case, one individual who had been for, with this company for 38 and a half years and in a professional capacity was 64 years old at the time, ended up getting 30 months of notice. And in the other, a 62-year-old working for IBM for a period of 38 years ended up getting 27 months of notice. And and in both instances, the court highlighted a couple of key factors that have kind of helped us understand, well, how do we get above that 24-month cap? And a couple of things that obviously stand out right away is the age of the individuals and just the amount of service that they've had uh, with these particular companies. Beyond that, though, in one case, they was focusing on the fact that this individual was very specialized, in fact, had only really worked with this company's software and products and didn't have experience in you know, trying to work with different products in the professional engineering setting. So really, he was starting from scratch 38 years later. And in the other case, the uh, another factor that the court mentioned was what we call the COVID bump. The fact that, you know, I think it's fair to acknowledge that it was harder to find work for people over 2020, 2021 and 2022 
than it is in normal circumstances when people when there weren't rolling lockdowns. And the courts have acknowledged that as a reason to give an individual potentially more severance. So a couple of really interesting cases that we I wanted to share with our audience, John. It's uh, pretty smart. People always wonder that number two. And But let's uh, get into our first email before a short break. And that would be our uh, pal Harold says, guys, I started with a new company six months ago. And they're trying to change the definition of commissions in my contract so that I lose out about 70K. I've argued with them over this, and they told me explicitly that they were sorry. It wasn't clear in the contract, but this is what they meant. Is there anything I can do? Yeah, Harold, one of the key principles of employment law or contract law in general is this idea of contra preferentum which essentially means that if you drafted the contract, you have to live with any ambiguities that exist in it. So in this instance, obviously, the employer had the resources, they had lawyers, they drafted this contract. And if it was ambiguous, if there's more than one reasonable interpretation, and clearly based on what they're saying to, to Harold saying, well, we're, we're sorry, that's not what we meant, uh, that's too late. They can't just change the definition of a contract six months into it. Now, at the same time, you also have a situation where you can claim a constructive dismissal, but it's time is of the essence here, because if you do wait too long, you're you're deemed to have condoned or essentially acquiesced, agreed with whatever the, happened here, the fact that they're changing the definition, and you, you can no longer go back and claim that as a constructive dismissal. But I think that's a very clear constructive dismissal. They're taking away you know, a substantial amount of money. And you don't have to accept that and can treat it as a termination. Yeah, I guess uh, he's he's given it his fair shot. He says he went and argued with them and talked about it, but they said no. They dug their heels and said, well, you took it the wrong way, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It happens all the time, uh, especially yeah. when you're de- when you're dealing with commissions or vague sales plans or bonus plans. Uh, companies, after you know, after all, after the year and after they see kind of the cut that they're giving up, like to rethink the the definition or rethink maybe what they meant by the contract. So, uh, again, you can't do that in the middle of a contract. There's, it's already set in stone. You can certainly try to change things moving forward, and there are absolutely legal ways to do that. But the money that he's worked for under that contract, he's now owed. Let's slide into a quick break, pal, and we'll get back to more. Thursday night edition Employment Law Show continues. Hang in there. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. Back with Stan Fanselberg answering your uh, your emails that have poured in over the last few days. So we'll get to uh, Jeff. Next one up says, guys, love the show, love the TV show as well. Uh, question, my employer gave me a year working notice. I asked if I quit early, would he pay me anything, which verbally he confirmed. But as soon as I signed a resignation letter, he backed out and said he doesn't owe me anything since I resigned. Is the company allowed to do that? Yeah, this is why we say you gotta always get it in writing, John. Uh, this is, I mean, certainly they're not allowed to do that. What you had is arguably a verbal contract. Uh, the problem is going to be proving it, because now you're in he said she said situation where yeah. you're going to say this happened, they're they're going to say it didn't, and you you leave it up to a judge to decide who they believe. 
So, you know, key point takeaway is that if you ever agree to something, especially anything contractual, you got to get it in writing. Yeah, the interesting too about this one is, you know, he says he the employer gave him a year's working notice, so potentially he could have, you know, he, he could have missed out on a year's pay, if not more, because the, the chances of that employer having the right amount of working notice are probably slim and none, probably owes him two, but who knows, right? I mean, he's missing out a whole bunch of coins, so it's, uh, yeah, like you said, get everything in writing, or at least send an email saying, just confirming what we talked about, blah, 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 you will give me such and such, right? Exactly. And it doesn't even matter, John, if that person, if the company responds to that email, because just having it out there saying, this is my understanding, this is what we've agreed to. They don't have to confirm that there's always going to be the inference of why, if that's wrong, why didn't you just respond and say, no, that's not our agreement whatsoever. Yeah. Silence is acceptance, right? Type of thing. Good, good call. Good call. Melanie is up next on the email. By the way, you can send one along anytime email that is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Or call into the show now. Just getting a call or two lined up. We'll continue on here. 416-870-6400. Melanie, thanks for, uh, thanks for chiming in uh, this evening. He says, my company just terminated me, and I have about $10,000 in unvested stocks that if I was working as of December, I would be owed. They are now saying I am not entitled to since I wasn't, uh, wasn't employed as of December. Is there any way for me to force them to give me the unvested stocks? What do you think? Yeah, Melly. the first thing you have to do is look at the, the plan that governs the stock units here. Uh, most of the companies that whenever they give you these grants of stock units, it's usually over a period of time that they vest because the point is that they want to incentivize you to stay on. Mm-hmm. And most uh, in every instance, really, I've seen there's a, a accompanying plan document that says whether or not you're eligible for them if you're terminated or how long after you're terminated you are eligible. So that would be the first place to start to determine whether they owe you. If they don't have a plan document, then the answer is easy. You're owed, if this period of time, if they would have vested during your common law notice period, then you are entitled to every form of compensation during that period of time. This is a form of compensation. You would get it. If there's specific language that says, no, you have to be actively employed or something like that, that's when your lawyer really needs to take a look at the the minutiae and determine, well, is that language legal? It does it, you know, just like a termination clause can violate a statute, language around uh, someone's ability to collect RSUs, bonuses, whatever you want to call them, can also violate the statute. If it just says something like, oh, well, we, you, you lose it the day that you're terminated, and you, even if you invest the next day, you don't get it. Well, you can't do that. Our statute yeah. says you can't change the terms of employment during somebody's minimum statutory period. And so if it was within that period of time and the, the policy contradicts that, that would be a violation of the statute and essentially makes the whole policy unenforceable. So that's the starting point, Melanie. And if you yeah. do find a plan like that, just give us a call at the office and we can evaluate it for you. Yeah, Melanie, probably a good call by Stan there at the end just to uh, you know clear it up even more if you have uh, more questions going forward about this matter. It's one 821 5,900. Want to get uh, Trish on here. Trish, thanks for taking the time to call through. How are you tonight? I'm okay. I had a quick question. We talk about employment contracts and kind of over a long period of time, but what happens if you experience something during your probation time there, such as harassment by an individual while you're at work, and then you're dismissed during your probation time 
Uh, and that employer doesn't report the harassment or, or take you through the investigation period of three months or to document anything. And uh, because they would feel that by the time they do that, your probation time would have had expired. And they just opt to not investigate and fire you offhand. Well, there's a number of problems with that. First of all, they don't have a choice as to whether they want to investigate something like harassment. Uh, there's the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which specifically says that any complaint, regardless of whether it's you know, a, a, has meritorious or not, whether there's substance to it, they have to investigate it. They have to take the minimum steps of actually determining what happened. And if it turns out that there was nothing there, then there was nothing there, but they still have to do the investigation. And secondly, if they're terming you specifically because they don't want to do investigation, that to me sounds like a reprisal for you enforcing your rights under this particular act. And there's a number of remedies that you have there, including potentially the ability to have the ministry force them to take you back with full back pay from the time you were let go until the time of uh, that decision. And what ministry is that? The Ministry of Labor. Makes okay. sense, Trish. All right, no worries. We, uh, I guess we can't assume as well. Does, I mean, does it make a difference whether she was actually, quote-unquote, on uh, – um, probation, they might have just told her she's on probation. It had to be in her contract, or does that not make a difference in this situation? It wouldn't make a real difference because the obligations are irrespective of whether someone's a probationary employee. The employee, right. I think what she was trying to talk about is the fact that you know they wouldn't want to pay her out and didn't want to wait because they know that past that three-month period, they owe her some money. Uh, but that's really not their choice. They have a situation that call, requires them to investigate it. And if that means that they have to blow past that three-month period, then that's what they have to do. Right. We appreciate the call, Trish. You have time as well to do like uh, Trisha did, 416-870-6400. Call us, get some quick answers. It works just like that and carry on from there. Uh, Zoe, next email up. That is help at employmentlawyer.ca, by the way. Zoe says, big fan of the show, guys. I left a company about a year ago based on promises that never materialized and now have been terminated. I'd been on my previous company for almost 12 years. They're now offering me four weeks of severance. Is that all I am owed? Uh, that definitely sounds extremely low. <laughs> and beyond that, Zoe, uh, it sounds like you have a situation where the company you were induced to leave your former company. And they're, depending on the representation specifically made to you, they the courts have, can say, well, we're going to count those 12 years with the previous company as part of your severance now to determine what you're owed. Hmm. So that's, I mean, obviously a very unfair situation. And there's a remedy for that that our courts recognize called the inducement principle. Let's talk to Albert next on the uh, on the email. It says, guys, quick question. Can an employer terminate you while you're on disability leave? Mm -hmm. This is a question I get a lot. John, and I think where people have uh, some confusion is the fact that they think just because they're on a disability leave that their job is completely protected. And right. of course, there are protections put in place. Uh, they, they can't just take it away because they don't want to give it back to you. But just there's a difference between terminating somebody while they're on disability leave and terminating somebody because of their disability. Uh, if in, in an instance where, let's say, you were your position was genuinely eliminated, your department had 100 people, they, they slashed that down to, to 10. Uh, in that instance, 
they're they're certainly allowed to to manage their workforce and it has, since it really has nothing to do with the disability leave it's not illegal now there there are situations where you could say well I what about those 10 other positions why wasn't I offered that and that would really get down to the the specific facts and whether the company could prove that there were reasons why the other individuals were chosen uh, because they don't necessarily have to give you the job, especially if you're not there at that point. And, you know, they clearly need the 10 individuals to to continue functioning after they just eliminated 90% of the workforce. And with that, we're going to move down to uh, Robert's up next. Uh, says, guys, it was terminated after 12 years of service. It was a technical role, and I'm in my 40s. I was offered, ready for this, 25-week severance. Is that even close, mm-hmm. says Robert. Sounds extremely low, definitely, John. I mean, if if you take the if you assume this company has a payroll of over two point five million dollars, right. uh, he's entitled to a minimum of twenty weeks. So don't look at Robert as they're offering you twenty five weeks. They're offering you five weeks. The twenty you're already guaranteed. Uh, and looking at just to the the factors he mentioned, John, I would put him around ten to twelve months, months. as a reasonable yeah. notice for severance. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, still got some time here, 416-870-6400, and the email address we're using and continue to use uh, for you, even outside the half hour of the show, right? Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Alexis says, guys, the Ontario government website says I have to wait five years before I'm eligible for severance. Is that true? Uh, again, this is that distinction that we talk about often between, you know, the, the colloquial way that people use severance and the specific meaning it has under the Employment Standards Mm, Act. So what she's talking about specifically is that under the Employment Standards Act, you do have to wait five years and your company has to, in fact, have a payroll of over at least $2.5 million for you to be entitled to severance. But the Ontario government, and this is you know the Ministry of Labor we're talking about here, is only going to tell you what your rights are under the Employment Standards Act. They're in fact not able, because they're not trained lawyers, to tell you what your common law rights are, what your maximums are, to put it another way. Right. So what they're ta- talking about are only your minimum entitlements. You are very likely owed significantly more than that. So basically, don't worry about that. Deal with the common law, which is what you guys do. Don't worry about what the Ministry of Labor or the government says, right? Because it's 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 not even barely scratching the surface. It's the floor, you know. They're saying <laughs> the the ES, the Employment Standards Act, the Ministry. They only talk about what your minimum, and again, minimum entitlements are. Uh, that is the floor. That's what you're owed by right as soon as you're terminated. Everything above that is, you know, as we talk about the common law. And you really need to speak to a lawyer to determine what it is your maximum is. Let's get down to uh, Liz's email. Thanks, by the way, everybody, for uh, for sending these emails in over the last couple of days. Appreciate it. Liz says, guys, my partner's insurance company denied her stress leave application despite a written note from the doctor declaring she was unfit to work. Her company now wants her to return, but she's very stressed out, and her doctor is against it. What can she do? Uh, she can listen to her doctor because that's the medical professional who oversees her and they're the ones with the most direct knowledge of her health. And if that individual is stating in writing with their professional license insurance on the line that this person cannot work, it's not up to some third party insurer or employer to really question that. 
really outside of exceptional circumstances, you know, you can't question the medical doctor's opinion. Uh, that being yeah. said, insurance companies don't make money by paying out claims. They often make you fight for it. And then knowing just the, uh, the calculus of it, the, it works out better for them in the long run. So I wouldn't take the insurance uh, company's denial as, as anything more than that. Uh, you can listen to your doctor. If your employer is forcing you to come back, you do not have to. That's, you know, that's discrimination based on their failure to accommodate you. And if they let you go, it you know, creates a whole host of problems beyond discrimination. And just as a, as a bit of a sidebar here, the, the, the road that Liz is going down to or about to go down to, uh, you can deal with that as well. On the other side of the hall with you guys would be the disability uh, end of San Fierro to market. Of course, we have the Disability Law Show here uh, on Friday at this time but uh, with Savan and myself. But you want to give Stan a call. He can direct you uh, over to that side of the room as well because this is also what they deal with. Quite often, as we see here through this email, these things kind of go hand in hand sometimes. Employers letting you go, dealing with insurance companies mm-hmm. as far as being off on disability. So they uh, they got you that that uh, that way covered as well. Uh, Jane is up next. Says, my husband has been on LTD, there you go, for almost two years. Uh, fighting brain cancer, his company will be terminating his extended health care benefits once he has been on LTD for two years. Is this legal? This, again, depends, John, on what the agreement was prior to him going on disability. So if they have you know, a, a policy that very clearly states that after two years, we don't have to continue benefits, and that was something that he, that individual agreed to, that's legal. I mean, that's not discriminatory because they're not treating that person any differently than they would any other employee who would go on disability leave. It's just the terms of the policy. If, however, they don't have that policy and they start, you know, let's say gratuitously out of the goodness of their heart, they decide to continue the benefits. But after a while, they realize, hey, you're not coming back as soon as we hoped. And this is a little expensive. We're going to cut you off. Well, you know, now you're cutting off somebody's entitlement in, in the form of compensation in a way that you don't have an agreement that allows you to do that. And that could be seen as discriminatory. Yeah, it's interesting. It's quite often when you deal with this, that that two-year mark is something that the insurance company will do. And just because you're, you're, you know, you're no mm-hmm. longer either with the company or they're paying for the benefit, once you switch over to being with the insurance company, if that, if that, if your company, you know, hypothetically shuts down and goes out of business, you're still covered because now you're dealing with that insurance company. So the company changing that really shouldn't matter. It's more about dealing with the insurance company like we had with the previous uh, previous listener. You know what I mean? Run 100%, John. And that just speaks more generally to how coverage applies and whether you have to even be employed at the time right. that you become disabled. Because in certain instances in the case law that we've seen them, on the employment side, you know, let's somebody gets let go, the company, ignorantly, in my view, doesn't continue the benefits, mm-hmm. and that person, three, four, five months later, becomes completely disabled. Well, because that's a benefit they would have had had they continued to work there, had the company provided them with proper notice and, the, and right. their proper benefits over that period of time, the company now becomes the insurer and actually has to pay out the long-term disability, short-term disability, whatever the case may be. 
And with that, we are done for another uh, evening. Stan, good stuff, pal. As I mentioned, I'll be back in tomorrow at 6.30 with Savannah for the Disability Law Show at this time. But in the meantime, reach out to Stan with your employment law matters. Always ready to uh, have a chat with you. Take your call. And that is done this way. 1-855-821-5900. The number help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website for you to use all the time is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We'll catch you another edition of this show on the weekend. Until then, enjoy the rest of your evening. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.